So 1 Samuel 30. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev against Ziklag. And they had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had also been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his own sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out and the six hundred men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besser, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and four hundred men, two hundred stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besser. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David, and they gave him the bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink because they gave him water to drink, and they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? He said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negev of the Cherethites and against that which belongs to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Will you take me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck, down, struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. Now David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything, that had been taken. David brought, all, brought back all. David also captured all of the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Besser. And they went to, out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil we have recovered, except that each man may lead his wife and children astray and, and depart. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to this matter? For as his share is who goes into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made a statue and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil of his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here's a present for you, the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. And it was those who were in Bethel, in Ramoth of the Negev, in Jatir, in Aror, in Sifmoth, in Estimoah, in Rakal, in the cities of Jeharamelites, and the cities of the Canaanites, in Horma, in Borashan, in Atah. 
in Hebron for all the places where David and his men had run. Morgan was talking to me about the text he had to read today, and I just, Morgan, I didn't write it. You know what I mean? I didn't write like all those names. Well, I, I didn't come up with that. That's the Lord's fault. That's not mine. You did great, brother. Appreciate your willingness to do that. Love having young folks and people seeing people love the Lord and serve. And I'm thankful that my kids love church. I hope your kids do as well. Blessing. First Samuel chapter 30. Turn your Bibles there. Please turn your Bibles there. We're going to be looking at some of this these verses. I think it'll be helpful for you. Page 297 in the Pew Bible. We're middle of a series, first, second Samuel. We're towards the end of this first book. And of course, first and second Samuel originally was one book, and so we'll continue teaching through it. Samuel has Old Saul, he's rejected as king. David has been anointed. Samuel told him on several occasions this was the case. Saul's kingdom will be given to another. You can stick a fork in Saul. He's done. We have seen God providentially orchestrating events that has led to Saul's demise and David's triumph. And this happens because Saul had been disobedient to the Lord. The Lord is against him. And even when Saul eventually seeks the Lord, the Lord wasn't speaking or leading Saul. So Saul seeks out a, a sorcerer, a witch, a medium to bring up Samuel so Saul could get some help against the Philistine army. And why is the Philistines causing much, so much trouble? Well, because Saul's best help, David, has been let go. David has been so pursued at this point in time by Saul that he's gone to live in enemy territory, the land of the Philistines. But it's interesting, why would the Philistine king trust David, who was the conqueror of Goliath? Well, I had someone tell me this week, an enemy of my enemy is my friend. Like that. The Philistine king saw David as an ally because David was on the run from his arch enemy, Saul. Achish wanted David to fight the Israelites with him. David last week we saw was in a pickle, wasn't he? He's supposed to go and fight against Israel. But God is faithful to his promises. He told David he would be king and could Dave be king over a group of people he once fought against? Of course not. So God providentially had the other Philistine leaders perceive that David wasn't all that trustworthy. They opposed their king and refused to allow David to go to battle. So we see David being rescued from this conundrum. But if you think about what would happen if David had to go and fight, would he have done it? speculation. He didn't have to, but I would say, well, of course not. He would have helped Saul. I think the king's advisors were wise. And here are the reasons. Well, David had been lying to Achish the whole time, right? Deceiving him. These Philistine leaders perceived that David would 
turn on them. And David has been faithful to Saul all along. So why would we think that David would not continue to be faithful to Saul? So we can easily conclude that David would be a very different kind of king than Saul. He was a man the Lord had chosen to be king. David had a place in God's good purposes that Saul never enjoyed. Although not flawless, he was a, indeed a man after God's own heart. So after these leaders of the Philistines perceive that David might not be loyal to them, David is relieved of his duty. As the Philistines march off to battle against the Israelites, we see David returning to Ziklag, the city that the king had given him to live in. He and his 600 men and all their family. But when they returned, verses 1-6, through six, they found it burned to the ground. Their families hadn't been killed, thankfully, but they had been taken captive. And so the main point of the text is our first point today, is that God is providentially working out His will, orchestrating events to bring about Saul's demise and David's triumph. That's our first point. And we say providence a lot. What do we mean by providence? I, I use that word a lot. And you might be wondering, what exactly is that? Well, the providence of God is, is God's unseen hand in the events of life, assuring and achieving His purposes and His promises. For example, our, our family, we were overseas for a while. We thought we'd be overseas for the rest of our days. We'd kind of hit our stride. My wife, she learned the language really quickly, but for me, it took me a long time. And I finally got my language where I could really help people and, and teach people the Bible. And I felt like we understood the culture and we had navigated enough where we were doing some good. The Lord was really using us. And then all of a sudden, we come home thinking, well, okay, we're going to come home and get something taken care of medically, and we just couldn't get it fixed. And so we couldn't go back overseas to live where we wanted to live. And so, really frustrating. It was a really difficult time for our family. We grieved and we... we really struggled because we wanted to be overseas uh, working with the Chinese and we wanted to be among the unreached peoples of the world. And on a Saturday night, I sent in my letter of, recommendation, I mean, letter of resignation to our, my, my boss. And the next morning we come here and our pastor resigned the next day. God was providentially bringing us back here, yet we couldn't see it at the time. You've had some of those same experiences. Many of those. We all have. We just can't see what God is doing. Orchestrating events, bringing about His will. Well, let's look for ways that God is doing that in our text today. The 600 fighting men, they're, they're upset by what's happened to their city and their families. Verse 4 says, they wept until they had no sobs left. Right? They cried their eyes out. They couldn't cry anymore. Then they began to think about how this happened. It had been David's plan to bring them to the land of the Philistines. Well, it had been David's request that they live in this remote city of Ziklag. It was David who led them off to fight with the Philistines, leaving their families vulnerable to this attack. Some are so angry 
that they're talking of stoning David. And so, you know, oftentimes when things go badly, the leader needs to be blamed, right? As the leader goes, so goes the group. But not always. But that's what we do. We look to blame someone because someone has to be at fault. I mean, it couldn't just be the will of the Lord. We'll come back to verse 6 in a moment. But David seeks the Lord to determine if he should pursue this band of Amalekites. And he hears from the Lord that he should pursue them. And so they do that in verse 11 through 15. They find an Egyptian slave that had been abandoned by the Amalekites. And he was sick and he wasn't worth caring for. And so he's left there. And he is fed and he's watered. And he agrees to take them to the looters. To the bandits. And so he takes them there, and it just so happens that they're having a party. Kind of visualize, I like westerns. Kind of visualize them coming up on this, you know, raiding party of whatever tribe, and they're having a party. It was always a drunken party. I don't know why that was. They're always drunk and yelling and screaming and having a good time. Well, that was what was going on with the Malachites. They're all spread out. They're having a party. They're having a good time. And David attacks, he and his men attack them, and they rescue their families and all their possessions. Let's look at verses 18 through 20. Let's read that. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove their, the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. It's interesting, isn't it? They, uh, they want to stone him one moment, and then one victory later, they're, they're giving David all the credit. The victory was so decisive that the Amalekites aren't mentioned again in, in these books in Samuel or 1st, 2nd Kings. We can easily see the providence of the Lord as the Lord achieved His purpose in David's life. We'll see more of that later. Point two today is when in need, we must strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Well, I mean, David's having a rough time of it. He's living in enemy territory because he's running from Saul as Saul continues to return evil for good. David has just returned to his home to see that his family has been taken captive and everything he owns has been looted. Icing on the cake is that these guys want to stone him. They're blaming him. Instead of turning inward and woe is me, what does David do? He drew near to the Lord. It says that he strengthened himself in the Lord. Verse 6. What's it mean for him to strengthen himself in the Lord? It's interesting that same wording is used with Jonathan. Jonathan helped David find strength in the Lord. Chapter 23, verse 16 and 17. And how did Jonathan do that? If you remember, we won't look at it for time's sake, but he reminded David of God's promises for his life. So for David to do that for himself, he would have to remind himself of all that God was going to do for him. It might look something like this. God, you said I would be king. Help me to trust you to do that. Things are going from bad to worse. Help me to remember your promise continually as I seek to find my family. Maybe it's just been a time of prayer where he drew away and had some quiet time of prayer with the Lord. It could be that he read the law, the scriptures that they had at that time.
we see other places in the Scripture where people find strength in God after crossing the Red Sea. Moses in Exodus 15, 2. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is my strength, right? Yeah, He draws near to the Lord, giving Him praise. 1 Chronicles 16.11 Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His presence continually, or seek His face continually. How do we find strength in the Lord? How do we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? Well, we seek His face. Right? We seek fellowship with Him. Nehemiah 8.10 Then He said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved... For the joy of the Lord is your strength. How do we find how do we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? Sometimes I think we just remind ourselves of the gospel. But but it has to be a decision. It's something we have to do. We have to draw near to the Lord. And we, we think about scriptures in the New Testament. Draw near to the Lord, and what will happen? He'll draw near to you, right? How do, we find, how do we find strength in the Lord? How do we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? Reminding ourselves of the promises He's given us. I don't know about you, I think that's really wise to do. Just have certain promises that you memorize and you just have close to you. You have a memory of something you remind yourself, this is what the Lord's going to do. No matter how difficult it is, no matter how hard it is, you have these promises of what God's going to do, His faithfulness. Another example of how we find strength in God is when you're anxious, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. That's what's happening in this verse. You're anxious. How many of you get anxious? For me, I get anxious at times. Ooh get overwhelmed with it sometimes. And so I just have to get in, a, in my closet, go back in this dark room and just cast my cares on the Lord. And then that, that peace, right? That's, yeah, finding strength in the Lord. We're strengthening ourselves in, in the Lord. And in verse 8, he, David inquires of the Lord. And how did he do this? And I'm not exactly sure. A number of ways he did that, through prayer, fasting, searching the, the law, the Scriptures. Maybe through the, the ephod, right? The apron that the priest wore. And we know that David wore those in 2 Samuel 6. So he may have put on an ephod and used the Urim and Thummim and, 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 and inquired of the Lord. But he finds strength in the Lord. And we need to do that regularly as well. He drew near to the Lord. And we've seen him falter in that, haven't we, at times. But here we see him when things are really terrible... And when you think this is going to be a, a great opportunity for David to, to crumble, we see his leadership tested, his leadership abilities tested. And he, instead of crumbling and turning inward, what does he do? He, he draws near to the Lord and he, he strengthens himself in the Lord. Third point is be a man of principle. Be a woman of principle. Verses 21 through 25, we see David and his men, they're... They're pursuing because they, he sought the Lord. He inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said, go. And so he's obeying, and he's going. Right? He's pursuing these bandits who have his family. And so he's pursuing them, and, 
it's, I can just imagine them kind of double time, you know, if you're a soldier. Mr. Clyde, y'all used to march. When you would march and drill, you would double time, right? You're just doing it quickly. And I imagine them doing that. But after a while, I mean, they just went on a trip. They come back and they're, they're pursuing the Amalekites again. And there's just some of the folks, they just couldn't keep up. I mean, they couldn't do it physically. They just were spent. They're exhausted. We can't go any further. We'll stay and go guard our stuff, whatever stuff they had left, and, and the rest of you go. And so that's what happens. They leave two of them, 200 and, and 400 carry on. After rescuing their families, they return to Ziklag, and they meet up with these soldiers on the way back. And notice verse 22, who didn't want to share the spoils with those who had rested? It was the wicked and worthless fellows, right? Worthless fellows, think about Nabal, right? He was, that's what his name meant. I mean, fool is worthless, right? And it didn't say that those that were left behind were lazy. I mean, come on. I mean, their families were carried off. I mean, they just gave it all they had. They just didn't have any more to give. So these wicked and worthless men, they said, we're not sharing anything with them because they didn't go to the battle. We had to go and, and fight all day and night. They don't deserve any of it. What did David say in verse 23? But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers. With that, the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statue and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. And so David rebukes them, saying, No, the victory was from the Lord. That's what he reminds them, number one. The victory is from the Lord. Or you're saying, yeah, we went, and we, we went and took care of business. Yeah, but the victory come, is from the Lord. They're trying to take credit. We did this. We did this. No, the Lord gave it to you. But, but also, we, we know we're on the same team here. We, we share the plunder. They've been with us all this time. They were wore out. They couldn't do it anymore. They couldn't go any, any further. So no, they, they should get part of this, the spoils as well. And God had already set this precedent back in the book of Numbers. After the Israelites had devastated the Midianites, God told Moses in Numbers 31, 26-27, Take the count of the plunder that was taken, both of man and of beast, you and Eleazar the priest, and the heads of the fathers' houses of the congregation, and divide the plunder into two parts between the warriors who went out to battle and all the congregation. So here we've already seen the Lord began to set these principles in place. No, you give it to everybody. We all divide it. Joshua also follows his lead. If you, you remember when the Israelites went into the promised land, there were several tribes that stayed on the other side of the Jordan. They didn't cross into the promised land. And that, that's where they took up residence. It was the Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh. Well, they went in and the fighting, the, the able-bodied soldiers went in and fought with all the other tribes for a few years to help settle the land. And then when they come, came back, Joshua 22.8, what he says, Go back to your tents with much wealth and with, with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and with much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. Yeah, take it back. And, and divide it among everybody. Right? Yeah. This precedent was set by God, followed by Joshua, and here repeated by David. 
we see other parallels elsewhere. But David chooses to make a stand and says, no, we're not going to do this. Th- that's not right. We should share the spoils with everyone. And, and sometimes we have to do that. We have to kind of take a stand and say, no, that's not what we're going to do. That's not what I'm going to do. Because that's not right. And sometimes we do that. And sometimes it's, it's painful. Right? It's, it's hard to be a person of principle, to be a man and woman of God who has principles that they live by. Sometimes it's difficult. It really is. To, um, for, for me, and specifically for me, I, sometimes I have people who they want to get married and they want me to do the wedding, but sometimes when I look at their life situation and I look at the Scriptures, I'm like, yeah, I can't do your wedding because it's not a biblical remarriage. Maybe it's a situation that just, I can't do that. So that's difficult. That hurts some feelings, you know. Sometimes you have to say, yeah, I'm sorry, that's not biblical. I can't do that. Sometimes we have to point out, you know, sin in people's lives or we have to refuse something because of godly principles. No, that's not the way Christians live. You may have to do that in your own life. It's a difficult thing to do to be a, a person of principle sometimes. That's what David did here. And sometimes that's what we have to do as well. David, he stood for what was right. In the process, he established a principle that outlived himself. Yeah, let's do what's right. Let's share the spoil. Well, application for us at 1 Samuel 30, there's other things we could delve into, but this application, I think number one is understand that God is providentially working in our lives to bring about His purposes. And we've seen that over and over and over again. We see that in the life of David and, and Saul as they as this, this, these events unfold, Saul is failing and David is triumphant, but that is because of God, right? We need to recognize that in our own lives. God is providentially working in our lives to bring about His purposes. For David, all things were working so that he might be the next king. For us... All things are working so that we might be more like Christ. Your struggle is no accident. We think they are. Yeah, they're they're a consequence of sin, but they're no accident. It's not just by happenstance or coincidence. God is providentially bringing about things in your life for your good and His glory. As difficult as that is for us to grasp. I think secondly is just we need to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. How do we do that? Well, one thing by being here helps. I think drawing near the Lord, reading the Scriptures, prayer, sometimes little retreats of getting away, spending a day, an afternoon, a morning by yourself, seeking the Lord. Fasting. Memorizing scriptures. How do we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? There's many ways we do that. All centered around the Word of God, right? And lastly, we need to be men and women of principle. The 
in men and women of principle and giving grace because we've received it. That's a, another thing here. David's trying to point out to these men, they didn't want to share the, the plunder. Well, the victory had been the Lord. The Lord gave them the victory. They had experienced this grace. Why would they not want to extend that to the others? Because the men were foolish and wicked, right? Yeah, we're, we've received a lot of grace. We ought to want to extend that grace to other people. And Sometimes that's hard to do. That's what God wants us to do. So, Next week we'll pick up with 1 Samuel 31.